Hello and welcome to the We'll Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug. I'm the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church. We're based out of Shelton, Washington, and we're a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Gathered and gifted by the Holy Spirit, faith is a beloved, affirming community. We're striving to grow closer to and more like Jesus for the sake of the world. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. I hope it's a blessing to you as it has been for me as I've prepared for this message. We're looking at the sixth commandment today. It's an ongoing series on the Ten Commandments. And the sixth one is, you shall not commit adultery. I think today's message could be summarized this way, that each one of us is made in God's image and therefore made for relating to one another. We're called to lead pure and decent lives in word and deed, regardless of our gender, regardless of our marital status. What do you think? Well, before I get started, you should know that there are Faith 5 handouts and small catechism resources available at our website, www.faithshelton.org. We're going to start today with a story from the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were asking this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. They kept on questioning him, and he straightened up, said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here ends the reading. And from the small catechism, the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We are to fear and love God so that we lead pure and decent lives in word and deed, and each of us loves and honors his or her spouse. You shall not commit adultery. What is adultery? So I looked up my Bible dictionary and it says that adultery is illicit sexual relations with someone other than one's marriage partner. Which means we need to back up a bit to talk about marriage and and human relationships in the Bible. Genesis 1 states that all people, regardless of gender, are created in the image of God. Then there's a great verse in Genesis 2, in which God states this profound truth, that it's not good for a person to be alone. As the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit exist in community, so God created us to be in community, in relationship with God and with other people. And often that companionship takes the form of marriage. And Adam and Eve are an example of how two people unite and form a lifelong partnership for enjoying creation, enjoying each other, and making babies. The Bible says be fruitful and multiply after all. 
The track record regarding marriage in the Bible is actually pretty shaky. The Old Testament has arranged marriages, political marriages, multiple wives, sibling marriages, and kissing cousins. There are harems and concubines and female slaves. And throughout the Old Testament, uh, for the most part, women are treated like property, disposable. A man could divorce a woman uh, with the stroke of a pen for no reason at all. It makes you wonder how you get from Genesis 1, everyone created in the image of God, to that. Well, last week I mentioned how parts of the Bible are prescriptive and other parts are descriptive. Some parts tell us what we should do, and other parts simply tell us the story of what happened or what someone said. I think maybe one reason that the Bible records such a messy record of marriage and such poor treatment of women is to just underscore how important mutual lifelong relationships are and how easy it is to get off track and to stop seeing the image of God in one another because of our gender or the color of our skin. Which is why the sixth commandment is so important. It is a prescription, right? It tells us what to do. It it prescribes how we can safeguard and strengthen our most intimate relationships. Just as God is faithful in God's relating within the Trinity and and with us, so to truly reflect the image of God, we are called to fidelity and self control. I like how the book of Proverbs uh, urges self-control in matters of sex. Uses some colorful imagery like, drink from your own well, it says. Keep your fountain to yourself, it says. It's not to be shared with strangers. Love the one you're with. Adultery is when one partner in a marriage goes after a third party. Trust is broken. The relationship suffers. And the image of God is tarnished. And that's not what we were made for. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's why God gives us, prescribes to us, the sixth commandment. Jesus chimes in on the sixth commandment as well. He says this in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. Jesus is challenging us two ways here. The first is that adultery starts with the heart. When I lust after a woman not my wife, if I allow my fantasies to get the best of me, I'm allowing a third party into our bedroom. And I'm treating a person created in God's image as property, as an object of desire. I'm breaking the sixth commandment. The other thing going on here is the way that divorce was being used in Jesus' day was a way for men to threaten women, subjugate women, and to blame women for their own lack of self-control. In the Old Testament, Jewish men blamed their unfaithfulness to God on their foreign wives. And in John chapter 8, a man lacks self-control, commits adultery with a woman who is not his wife. So what does he do? He tries to hide behind his, his sin, to hide behind the thin veneer of religious outrage. The woman made me do it. 
<laughs> Sounds like Adam in the garden, right? Well, she made me eat the apple. What a whiner. And then to cover up his shame, he is willing to lead a mob of men in an angry attack on a defenseless woman to kill her to cover up his sin. No wonder Jesus is furious with the mob. He defends the woman, disperses the crowd, and then warns her to stop hanging around such adulterous men. They lack character. They lack self-control. They will only bring ruin. The lesson here is don't try to use the sixth commandment to cover up your own adultery. Well, the early church uh, in the New Testament and following wrestled with marriage and adultery questions. They thought that the end was near, that Christ was coming soon, and so many wondered if marriage was a distraction from one's preparation for the coming again of Christ. You see that a lot in the New Testament writings, especially the Apostle Paul. And what if one spouse is a believer and the other is not? Well, the Apostle Paul does try to uh, address this issue of marriage, and he seems to advocate a vow of celibacy that people should abstain from all sexual relations and commit one's life to Christ instead. After all, he's coming soon. Well, over the centuries, this led to the establishment of orders of priests and nuns and sisters and monks who withdrew from the world, took vows of celibacy in the name of Jesus Christ. And these, these uh, vows weren't all bad. These monasteries and, and covenants uh, often provided women and men safe places to flee abuse and to serve a higher cause. Monasteries, convents, all those things were in their heyday in Germany in the 16th century when Martin Luther took his vows of celibacy and he became a priest in the Augustinian order of the Roman Catholic Church. By Luther's day, there was an understanding, it's kind of the un, unspoken secret, that the whole celibacy thing wasn't really working out for the church. Turns out that a lot of priests were busy um, sharing their fountains with strangers and um, drinking from other people's cisterns. There was a myth that priests and nuns were somehow holier than married people, and so they, they were put on a high pedestal simply because they took this vow. But the Bible, Luther and others recognized, doesn't say anything like that. The Bible commends marriage, after all. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests renouncing marriage was any better or worse than getting married. God had given marriage as a gift. It was an order of creation. It was a means for ordering society and enjoying all that God had made, including one another's bodies. So, when Luther explains the Sixth Commandment in the Small Catechism, he emphasizes the need for each person, each person to lead pure and decent lives in word and deed, regardless of marital status, whether you take a vow of celibacy or, or if you're married. We are to lead pure and decent lives in word and in deed. You can be a good priest or a bad one, for that matter, whether you're celibate or married. If you're married, he says, treat your spouse with love and with honor. Luther himself, he eventually married a former nun by the name of Katie von Bora. They had a bunch of kiddos, too. In his later writings, he reflects on how much he likes being a dad and a husband. I like being a dad and a husband, too. Well, here in the 21st century, we continue to wrestle with the Sixth Commandment. 
To be sure, the church has utterly failed to keep either the letter or the spirit of this commandment. Throughout the centuries to this day, Christian church leaders, bishops and priests, pastors and televangelists, janitors and youth directors, husbands and wives, too often we lack self-control. We drink from someone else as well. We fail to keep our fountains to ourselves. And meanwhile, divorce is still way too common, and it still hurts. And women are most often the ones who take the blunt of the, of the punishment. Women are objectified and treated like property or the lesser sex. And now as we enter the 21st century, we have some new uh, Sixth Commandment issues to navigate. Things like same-gender marriage. How do two people who want to make a lifelong commitment to each other do it if they both happen to be women or they both happen to be men? If there was room for a variety of cultural expressions of marriage in Bible times, ought we be open to seeing how this one plays out? And 2,000 years of celibacy uh, and vows of, of <laughs> 2,000 years of vows of celibacy prove that abstinence is not a universal solution. Bible says it's not good for a person to be alone. We're created in the image of God regardless of gender, and God is relational. So how does the sixth commandment apply to same-gender marriage, same-gender relationships? And then there's LGBTQ rights. This seems like the sixth commandment issue to me as well. It's like the woman in John chapter 8. She's being singled out, targeted for violence, being blamed for the sins of the powerful. Should not Christians support efforts to ensure equal rights to all people, regardless of race, color, nation of origin, and gender identity? With regard to LGBTQ rights, what would Jesus do? Which side would Jesus take? This is a sixth commandment question. And the third thing I think about is social media. Uh, Social media these days, kids are under all sorts of pressure to conform or not conform, to identify their gender or not, or, or to choose or to resist or all of the above, just a barrage of messages and pressure. Parents and institution are trying to figure this stuff out and under all sorts of pressure. There's just a ton of fear and anxiety around sexuality, and there aren't very many tools for sorting this stuff out. So what guidance does the Sixth Commandment offer us as we try to help our kids filter through the barrage of sexually explicit material. Was it this complicated when I was growing up? I don't know. I do know that it's only going to get more confusing. And so how do we talk about these things? Where can we talk about these things? We need to be a sixth commandment church. We need to be a church that is a safe place for kids and parents to talk about these things with respect, with honor, with dignity, with compassion, all under the umbrella of God's grace. The sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What does it mean? So we know that the people of God have a lousy track record in our dealings in matters of sexuality and self-control. We know that it's only getting more complicated. But thanks be to God, our human hope is not and cannot be based on all of us trying harder, doing better, and caring more. No, our hope is in a faithful and loving God, 
one who the Bible says is like the loving parent we never had and the faithful spouse we never were. You know, the Bible begins with a marriage and it ends with one too. This one is on the last great day, Revelation chapter 19. When death and sin have been defeated, Satan cast into the lake of fire, a great multitude of humanity and angels gathered around the throne of God. Revelation 19 describes it this way. It says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Sisters and brothers in Christ, blessed are you. Because on this day, in the hearing of this message, you are being invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And these are the true words of God. You are being invited to come just as you are. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. No, you've been invited because before the beginning of creation, God chose you. In Christ Jesus, God made a vow to you. I will be your God and you will be my people for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health and not even death will part us. This has been accomplished through the faithfulness, the fidelity of God. So come, come to the table. Come into the presence of the God who created you, who loves you, has a purpose for your life. Let the scars of past adultery and betrayal find healing. Let the guilt and shame of past failures be washed away. Sisters and brothers, you are not disposable. You are not alone. You are created in the image of God. You are one for whom Jesus gave his life. The invitation today is to put on the righteousness of Christ Jesus, right? Revelation 19, rejoice and be glad and give God the glory. And how better to give the glory to God than by our repentance and our courage and our humility, honoring God with our bodies, treating one another with decency and honor and love and purity, especially and starting with our spouses. Amen? Amen. Well, that's what I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe or like us or sign up for our mailing list at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Thanks, Chaz, for your production work. I am grateful for the privilege of being the pastor of the people of faith. Now let's end by praying for what we talked about today. Oh God, you command us not to commit adultery. May we so fear and love you that in matters of sex, our words and conduct are pure and honorable, and that wife and husband may love and respect each other. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God bless y'all. Have a good day.